Yeah. Three, two, one, go! What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Cooldown Time. My name's Marco. I'm your graphically outdated host. Joining me, as always, is the technical mess of the show himself, Pablo. Pablo, look, man, we're back to our regularly scheduled program. Our format is going back to the OG version, loadouts, hit points, checkpoint chat. You know the drill. So uh, finally back on track after a couple of special episodes with Game of the Year, with 2024 predictions. So uh, before we get rolling, man... Um, Let's do a little little life check-in. How you doing, man? What's going on? Doing pretty good. Uh, work is actually slowed down uh, during the holidays. Uh, the, the opposite effect. It was just fucking insane. But now I'm, uh, you know, a little bit uh, more free time on my hands, long weekends, all that good stuff. Still nothing to play. Uh, so it's forcing me to, to, to be a responsible human being and father yeah. my child uh, and <laughs> things of that sort. Uh, but other than that, man, uh, all seriousness, it's all good. Uh, can't wait to really get into to playing some games this year uh, and doing more of the show with you, man. So how about you? How, how are you doing? Well, first and foremost, I don't like how you talked about parenting with an energy of disdain <laughs> in your voice. That was a little weird for me. Hey, no, no, uh, no but, disdain. You know, ha- have you gotten to the point where you're sick of your kid yet? Have you gotten to that stage or have you, are you still in the, oh, he can't do no wrong yeah, phase? Yeah, I'm in the, he can't do no wrong uh, oh, stage. Man, I mean, he, yesterday he, he hit his plate of food off of my hand and it all fell on the ground. Right. And then I looked up and he put his hands over his face. Like he's trying to hide. And I'm like, ah, he's so cute. Yet I had like <laughs> look, a mountain. Look of food at how cute he f- destroys the house. <laughs> <laughs> mountain of food on the floor. Wow. Yep. I admit that. Ah, uh, setting a nice precedent for your child, man. That's what I'm saying. There, <laughs> but it's going to happen. You will get sick. Oh, I don't doubt at it. some point. It's going to happen. I don't doubt it. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, uh, it's it's going pretty good, you know. Uh, I mean, work is kind of ramping back up again, so I'm not too thrilled about that. Um, but you know, it is what it is. But you know, I'm keeping myself preoccupied. I've you know, I'm, I'm I've, I've been spending a lot of time, and we'll talk about it in loadouts in a little bit. Kind of you know, retreading some some stuff I wanted to get to um, that I didn't get a chance to play before game of the year. Deliberations happened on our show, uh, so I've, I've been keeping myself pretty well occupied uh but speaking of which um ladies and gentlemen uh we are back to our normal format as i said uh, just a few moments ago uh that means we are going to catch you up on the games we've been playing since we last did a loadouts which was a little while uh back uh we have some news stories to talk about xbox is in the headlines once again once again um, and we gotta we gotta <laughs> we gotta talk about it once again uh and we do of course have our main event of the show the checkpoint chat coming up uh, and it is going to be a pretty triggering one uh, because we're going to be talking about five games that each of us don't love no more. Uh-huh. Um, and some of those games might actually be games yeah. that some of you out there might love. And because so, there's no nuance in the internet, automatically because we say we don't love them no more, it means that we hate them, which is not the case, but that doesn't matter, <laughs> right? That's not what they're going to yes. take away from this. Everything is either goaded or trash. Yep. Uh, according to social media, that's right. But, uh, we'll 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 cover those bases soon enough. We'll we'll give you some rhymes and reasons for that. So stay tuned uh, to the end of the show for that. But before we get there, let's start off by talking about the games we've been playing 
Since our lovely listeners last heard from us, we call that segment Loadouts. So let's go. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, man. Well, we are apparently kicking off the year in gaming in 2024 with uh, a banger uh, from what we are hearing about the new Prince of Persia game uh, called Prince of Persia The Lost Crown. It's currently at an 87 on Open Critic, which is really good. You actually won that prediction. Uh, so congrats on that one. Normal. Um, but it's not out as of this recording. However, the demo is. So uh, both of us have had some time to dabble in it a little bit and get our bearings and see what we think of it. And so, uh, Pablo, you are definitely a Prince of Persia guy. So I would love to kick the floor over to you and let you take first stab at uh, telling us what you think of this. Yeah, uh, actually, Prince of Persia is kind of special because it's the first video game I remember playing. In fact, it is the first video game I've ever played. It was at a babysitter's house. It was on on an Apple II. Remember that vividly kind of blowing me away and then graduating onto the Marios and all that good stuff. But this is definitely my entry point into video games. And so anytime a Prince of Persia anything is is, is announced, I, I'm, I'm interested just automatically. So this game was announced uh, last year. I, I was very hyped for it. For, for whatever reason, the hype did diminish. But after playing this demo, I have to say the hype is back in full effect. I, I, I really love what they're doing here. Uh, the fluidity of the gameplay is a standout for me. It is absolutely great. I love the responsiveness, responsiveness of the game itself. But what I also like is the fact that the fluidity of traversal marries into the fluidity of gameplay and combat itself and i love that the transitions between those two things the game just feels really 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 good to play um specifically the combat has a parry system which if you guys know me Dark Souls fan, parry systems, love that shit to death. And the parry system here is very, very good. And I, and I love uh, parrying a perfect attack. And then sometimes you get this really cool like cutscene of, 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 of your character doing a really cool attack, which is really dope. Uh, I can't speak on the Metroidvania of it because uh, uh, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown is also part Metroidvania. That kind of stuff has been locked out of the demo. They wanted to showcase the traversal. They wanted to showcase the combat, which you know they definitely did here. Presentation of the game though is is superb I, I love the way it looks i love the art style i love the cinematic approach fully voiced acted i like the character design i like everything about the game i think the game really looks like a quality title uh, you know there's been a lot of prince of persia games that come out of mobile you can't mistake personally i think you can't mistake this for one of those this definitely feels like a console experience uh everything i've played of the demo so far has been exactly what i I thought this game was going to be and even more I, I i don't know i don't know what it is about specifically just kind of the way that the, the game responds to, to to the controller input just feels so good I, I can't wait to play more of this this is definitely a game that went from me being pretty semi hyped on it to now being like the game i can't wait to play this month so uh, coming out in a few few days actually so i'm excited for that uh but yeah th- that's been kind of my my uh my entire experience with the demo so far how about you marco i know you've also played it yeah, um, and and I obviously saw a lot of the praise about the game, and and as someone who does dabble in a fair share of Metroidvanias, um, I was pretty intrigued to see if this new Prince of Persia, that is essentially returning to form of the old school style, uh, would be something I'd be interested in. Um, I think I think I share a lot of the same sentiments in terms of the fluidity of the game. I do think that it feels very tight and responsive. Uh, movement feels really good. Mm-hmm. Platforming feels really good. Um, it, 
combat is kind of where it loses me a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if I love the combat too much. It feels, at least in the demo, a little too simplistic. Uh, doing the same sword slashing combo over and over again uh, feels a little um, old after a while. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe in the full game, there's a little bit more variety there. Uh, and and the, the, the bow and arrow thing uh, didn't really feel super effective as of as of you know, yet, but again, I'm all, you know, kind of putting asterisks on, on this, this whole thing until, um, the full game comes out, but I think the combat is fine. Um, I guess where it loses me a little bit is I, I, I disagree somewhat on the presentation, um, being, you know, really great. I do think the art style is cool. I, I don't know if it's really like gorgeous to me, um, I think presentationally speaking, there's also it feels like there's a little bit of shortcuts with, with the way dialogue is handled. They do use like artistic sprites that come up on the side of the screen with uh, instead of really, you know, animating the characters in regular uh, dialogue sequences. Now, they do have full blown cinematics where they are moving their lips and they are, you know, kind of animating and emoting more. Um, but it does feel a little budget uh, like in, in that sense, in, in certain ways. So I, I don't love that. And I, I, the story from what I'm gathering of it, I mean, they, they're, they're kind of blocking off a lot of the premise of the game in the demo, but from what I've, what I've learned through previews and stuff and, and reading some reviews is it doesn't seem like something that would appeal to me too much. Like it, it wouldn't really be something I'd, I'd look back on for game of the year, 2024 and go, wow, yeah, you they know, are. The, this yeah. story was exactly what, you know, works for me. Um, it you know it, it's it's more of a personal preference it, it, to be honest with you because and I don't take this as like me being racist or anything but <laughs> I just don't know how I it's it's just I don't know if I'm really into the like I'm tired of the Middle Eastern setting in in oh, many no, games or like you know or start. like Egypt or anything, anything that has a lot of sand everywhere I'm just eh, I I just want to well, be clear yeah, like. Yeah, I just want to be clear that that, that aesthetic doesn't really racist, do much for me. I find it to be visually <laughs> just, no, no, no. unappealing That's and not boring. Racist. That's not racist. Um, so a lot of what this game does artistically just doesn't really capture my attention. And, and that does bleed into what it's doing with some of the narrative as well. So I, I, I have no problem with the game fundamentally, other than a few quirks here and there. But I, I guess my, my overall takeaway is while I, I do acknowledge that it's a very good game from what I played, it's really not for me. Um, so I probably won't be dabbling in the full release of the game, but, um, since you're pretty high on it, it sounds like you definitely will. So I'm sure we'll get to, we'll get to circle back on this again and see what the full version of the game is like and how much better it might be compared to the demo for all we know. But, um, yeah. So, uh, either way, glad it got such great reviews. It's, it's good to see Ubisoft get a W, um, because damn, I mean, they've, they've been kind of swinging and missing for a while now, but Nice to see that they got something going for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's funny because when you look at the history of, of Prince of Persia, how it became Assassin's Creed because they felt that Prince of Persia wasn't really, you know, giving them what they wanted. And then going back to that yeah. and then remaking it. It's just so it's just so interesting to me. Uh, I wondered if, if uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason uh, Jordan Mechner was involved, but he isn't involved. He's the original creator of this. He started with Karateka and then went to Prince of Persia. But uh, that's so that kind of sucks. But other than that, I, I, this game definitely seems like they have it's not exactly a recreation of the first game, not by any means, but it's more like, hey, what if we made Sands of Time 
uh 2d that's so if people going into that that's kind of what to expect not so far it's not really dungeon heavy where it's like falling platforms and sharp edges there's a lot of that in the game but it's not the first game was basically all that was you know kind of avoiding traps this is a little bit more a little more involved with the combat Mm -hmm. portion of it so keep your eyes out for that one for sure yeah no doubt all right, man. Well, mm-hmm. uh, moving on, um, I'll go ahead and keep going if that's okay with you. Um, yeah, go for so, it. So, you know, you had kind of given me some, some, you know, nudging to go try God of War Ragnarok's Valhalla DLC not too long ago. Um, I got around to it. Yeah, it was free. Yeah, I got know? around to it. It's free. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, an investment for me in, in any way, shape or form. So I thought, why not? Um, I... Um, I'll be honest, full, full disclosure, I put it on the lowest difficulty. I'm I'm not a roguelike guy. I'm not looking for a challenge. I just want to see what happens narratively, have a little fun with the combat, and move on. Um, and I will say, it is pretty impressive what they've done here, uh, to the point where I'm actually shocked that it's free. Um, it is very robust, especially narratively, uh, in ways that, you know, it, me being somebody who didn't really enjoy God of War Ragnarok um, in terms of the base game, um, I'm actually coming back around and going, wow, you know, I, I wish there was more of this in the the base game where it, it dabbles in Kratos' past and it's kind of, you know, getting into his mindset and how to move on and how to move forward and how to, you know, reconcile what, what's gone wrong all those years ago. Um, I think that stuff is really, really meaningful um, in a way that I find way more compelling than, than the, the, the father son dynamic that they really leaned into it, in my personal opinion, too much in Ragnarok to the point where I think it kind of detracted from Kratos's, you know, identity as his own man. I think this really rectifies a lot of those issues I had. Um, and I think it pushes his character forward in a way that I think, um, I haven't finished it yet, but it seems to be setting him up for being a different type of person for what's to come in his future story arc, which I'm really, really intrigued mm-hmm. about. Um, and I will say, you know, uh, as someone who also critiqued the game really hard for its pacing and its environmental puzzles, uh, which I thought there were way too many. There's something really, really fun about just being able to play this mode and just focus on combat. And there's no, okay, how do I open up this door? How do I, okay, do I have to shoot the arrow here that explodes that, which explodes this, which explodes that? There's none of that stuff to worry about. It's, I just love how binary it is, if that makes sense. It's just very straightforward. The roguelike elements are, are, um, they're fine. Uh, they're not what I come to that mode to to play or enjoy, but I think that they do a decent job of kind of repurposing the things that are in the base game in a way that makes sense as a roguelike. So I, I don't mind it too much. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, even even them reusing locations, I think, is still done in an interesting way because they, there's a twist to each of those like you know locations because it's it's Kratos's mental recollection of those places on top of other things that are kind of haunting him that are in the the scene that aren't supposed to be. There. The background so it's it's very yeah, cool yeah. the way they do that so i'm i'm actually i gotta say as somebody who didn't like ragnarok at all um valhalla has really kind of got me back in in terms of being interested in where this series could go next with the, this stuff that's happening story-wise in mind um so yeah good mm-hmm. recommendation on that one man that was a good call 
Yeah, I I did you like it because of, of that that exact same reason. I do feel like the first 2018 God of War was a special kind of game because it kind of uh, it did deal with that parental kind of uh, storyline. I think it, I think it overstayed its welcome with Ragnarok, which I agree with you. And I feel like we could have gotten so much more out of Kratos, and instead it's relegated to this DLC. So in part, it's actually a little frustrating because this is kind of what I wanted to see. I wanted him to kind of he never really comes into terms the 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 what you're to take away from the game is that he's already processed that and he's passed it but in reality he isn't and this dlc is showing you him coming to terms with that kind of stuff which is pretty powerful really because if you want to make that change on that character you needed to see this and it just feels so weird that we waited for the second game free spinoff dlc to get probably the most impactful story elements of kratos's uh entire uh you know entire run which is a little bit kind of mind-boggling to me but i agree i'm excited to see what the future brings uh and hopefully you know there's no atreus in that future (laughs) if i'm being honest man that would be a bummer um or at least make him tolerable Mm -hmm. um but you know again that's subjective i don't want to piss off everybody uh but you know I, it just I felt like that relationship just like you said got got very long in the tooth and and it was like man there's still a lot of uh, unresolved things that Kratos needs to deal with that he's just not getting enough time to 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 face and you know I agree like making yeah. this you know DLC in the form of a roguelike I think some people are going to be turned off by that because oh I don't play roguelikes like I was right and then you realize mm-hmm. oh this is kind of essential you know like Oh, yeah. if, if you're not going to play this, ladies and gentlemen, and I never really encourage people to YouTube, you know, stories, but if you're really dead set on not playing a roguelike at all, but you love God of War Ragnarok and you want to see what happens next, I would, if you haven't already done it, YouTube it, I think it's going to be essential viewing to know where um, the future of the series is going to go. But yeah, very, very positive on this one. And I'm going to keep playing it. And I, I do plan on finishing it for sure. Um, all right. Awesome. Got two more things I'll run through real quick here. Um, next one is the finals. Uh, this is the, the new, uh, the, the new hotness with, uh, you know, live service games. It's, it's this new, you know, three V three V three multiplayer thing where it's a lot of, you know, uh, going in and, and stealing money from these ATMs or whatever, and then going and having to cash them out. So it's very money driven, uh, as far as the gameplay loop goes. But the key thing about this game is its destructibility, um, it is brought to us by some of the uh, visionaries behind Battlefield. Um, so a lot of that, you know, old school Levolution stuff is um, much more prominent in this game. Um, and I think it really makes this game a lot more dynamic than I was expecting. Um, at the end of the day, it is very much a games of service game that has all the trappings of a games of service game. It's got the battle passes, it's got the, you know, cosmetics, it's got all the stuff that you either love or hate. Um, but I do think the gameplay loop is intriguing and I think it does a lot with the destructibility in a way where it, it, it can become quite a strategic tool. Um, very similar but not, you know, f- totally similar to what what Rainbow Six Siege does with destructibility, being able to shoot through a wall, blah, blah, blah. But this game takes it to a much more grandiose level where you can just totally bomb out the floor um, as people are depositing their money to get points. And then you can take it. And then, you know, so y- there's a lot of tact to the game that I wasn't expecting to be there. And it's very hard to explain because I'm still kind of getting my bearings. Um, mechanically, it's it's very solid. Uh, it feels good to play. Um, 
it takes a little getting used to some of the, the ebb and flow of the matches and kind of what you should be doing, but I think that's part of the appeal of the game is that there's a lot of open-endedness to how you want to approach the game in terms of your, your team strategy or your personal strategy. Um, so I, I think if if live service shooters are your thing, um, and if you haven't already given this a try, might be worth checking out. Um, it, it's not a game I see my... Should I try I, it? I, it's, I was just going to say, it's not a game I see people like us playing for very long. I think I think you'll play it and go, okay, I kind of get what it's doing. I, I appreciate it, and I'm having an okay time with it, but I don't think it's going to necessarily dig its hooks into you. Um, like Siege. Yeah, no, not even close. Not even close. But uh, it is a fun game. Uh, it does a lot of interesting things with mobility and, and movement that I think makes it very snappy and, and responsive. It's not a slow or sluggish game by any means. So um, it, it, it should be fun for the, the Twitch shooter crowd um, that wants something like that, but with a twist. I think this is going to check those boxes for those people. Um, last but not least, um, I I double dipped. I, I bought Resident Evil 4 for the second time for no reason, other than because I felt like <laughs> it. I, I had it originally on PS5. I bought it on Xbox Series X. It was on sale for 30 bucks, and I decided that's all the reason I needed to get it again. I've, I finished the entire campaign again, uh, I'm, I'm working my way through. You mad? I bought man. the A to DLC again. I'm working through that again, um, and I, I gotta say, you know, I've, I've said my piece about the game during our game of the year content, um, but man, revisiting those moments and seeing how much variety this game has, and just getting a chance to experience it with, you know, different different weapons that I want to try out now. It, it, it changes my strategy a little bit. Um, th- this game, I, I, I used to battle with, is this better or worse than the RE2 remake? I think I'm at a point now where I think it is definitively better. Um, I just think it's doing too much in terms of that variety and dynamism that it's bringing to the table that as much as I love RE2 because it's more traditional and it's more raccoon city and it's more, it's, it's the traditional zombies and stuff like that. And I'll always yeah. have a, a fondness for that, but I just think RE4 in particular, the remake does so much more and is so much more diverse and interesting uh, that it's just, to me, it's undeniably the best remake out of the entire batch of remakes so far. But uh, yeah, had a lot of fun re- returning to that one uh, over the holidays, but uh, look, man, I've 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 rambled on enough. Uh, I want to kick the floor back to you and tell me what else you've been playing. Yeah, yeah I don't I don't got much here because um, you know, the truth of the matter is I'm still playing Baldur's Gate three. Uh, I rerolled the second character, a paladin, and I'm playing through that. Uh, and so I'm 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 still pretty much obsessed with that game. It's the game that's taking up most of my playtime. However, I have touched a few other things, uh, specifically a game called Trepang Square. Uh, this is a game that is it is completely inspired by Fear. Those who remember Fear, uh, the first person shooter that had kind of these horror elements to it. This game wears that inspiration on. Sleeve and it's it doesn't even try to deviate. However, uh, it has unresponsive controls. It has that what do you call it? That double A double A dinginess. Yeah. Oh, double. It's a double A <laughs> dinginess. The game. I wanted to love it more because it, it does execute that fear aspect uh, of its gameplay all the way down to the ambiance, all the way down to the enemies speaking to each other, kind of where your location might be, and that kind of stuff. All that stuff is is all there, except the 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 actual act of playing this game. 
It sucks. Mm. It sucks because it, it it has so much going for it, and I know a lot of people have talked about it, saying this is kind of like a a a, a gem, uh, an undiscovered gem, one of those things that's going under the radar. And I could see why my people might think that. But if you played any kind of competent first person shooter, this is just going to be very hard to play. Uh, so that's yeah. not going to be a recommend. And the name for me. is weird too, by uh, the way, Topanga Two. I don't know yeah, why people want to play. People think it's Trepang Two, but it's Trepang Square. There is no Trepang. One, I, Pootie listen, Tang don't two. I don't know how you say this shit. Pootie Tang Sarate <laughs> on the Hippie You know what I mean? Everybody knows Yata that. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'm also playing Catherine Full Body. Now, this is the game that I'm going to focus actual time into. So I'm not really going to talk about it much on here because I've just restarted it. But I kind of wanted to talk about. I forget how fucking stylish and cool oh, Catherine this game is. Is, is fire. From yeah from the beginning because i've played i've played i've played a good chunk of this game but i never finished it so i'm i'm kind of going back into it for, uh just wanting to to completely play through it and i'm i was kind of like you know i don't know if i'm really gonna be into it from rip off off just off the beginning of the game i'm like yo this game is so dope. i told you it so i love it I, i'll talk about it more uh as, as the weeks uh progress because this is definitely a game that i already feel it's like getting into me once again so i'm really excited about that but yeah, that, that's all I really have. Be, be, besides the, the the demo of Prince of Persia and my Baldur's Gate three journey, I I've I've been just playing that. Uh, oh, one more game, NBA Live '95. Oh, I got my super. I connected my Super Nintendo uh, just for shits and giggles, or, or thinking I'm just gonna be like, haha, just this still works. Popped in NBA Live '95, and I just pretty much play at least a game every day with the Magic. Uh, just go crazy with Nick Anderson. There you go. Uh, and I, I, that game is so dope. I remember that. That's the same console, Marco, that me and you played mm. on. So it has that history there for sure. So I've been playing a lot of that actually. But you know, uh, other than that, I'm waiting for Prince of Persia to come out. Waiting for uh, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth. Uh, gonna play some Catherine Full Body. Uh, so excited about that. But. That's it, man. Not 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 much. Not a lot of things to talk about on this my said, end. Not much. You uh, talked about but, pulling out a whole Super Nintendo out of his closet, <laughs> but not much, y'all. Well, not mean, much. Well, that's because I over the holidays I, I visited my parents, so on, and and they had some stuff like, hey, put this in storage, and it was a box that it was a 360 box, and I'm like, I don't have a 360. Open it. It was my Super Nintendo with all my games. I was like, wait a minute. So I've been trying to get back to see if that even works. I know it worked just a couple of years ago, and it still works. I mean, connected. Uh, immediately turned on so uh those things are super durable but yeah uh, coming weeks man we got some fire coming some dope ass games to talk about can't wait no doubt no doubt all right man well that is going to wrap up our loadouts segment this week it's time to shift gears and get into the news segment of the week that we call hit points for breaking news rumors and booty juice it's time for hit points all right, man. So uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation we're going to have about Xbox this week. So let me give you the floor and uh, walk us through the first story of the day here. Yeah. Uh, well, an Xbox insider known as Nate the Hate has reported that a highly touted Xbox exclusive uh, that was in Game of the Year conversations of the year it released will be coming to possibly PlayStation or Nintendo or both this year. 
speculation has run rampant throughout the internet as it usually does and a lot of people are thinking it might be hi-fi rush which is the more popular uh kind of guess sea of thieves has been thrown in there and in that same podcast the co-host has also expressed the possibility of the oblivion remake or remaster being that game uh, but at the time of this recording, Xbox uh, has been pretty quiet, hasn't made any official statements to confirm or deny these reports. So, Marco, what do we think about this rumor? Is this particularly a big deal? And can we expect more Xbox exclusives to come onto other platforms in the near or you know far future? What do you think, man? Um, well, I think it's important to caveat our discussion today by 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 really leaning into the if this is a rumor part um because all we can do at this point uh is speculate right uh we, Absolutely. we, we we're only going by what we have heard offhand from what insiders have said and um it's it's hard to make heads or tails without knowing the full extent of of what's going to happen um what i would say is if this initiative that Xbox allegedly has involves bringing Hi-Fi Rush to one or two consoles and then they screw back on the proverbial exclusivity lid and call it a day and it's just kind of a isolated thing, then I don't really see it being a, a massive deal, uh, so to speak. But if this is potentially the beginning of a bigger strategy that results in multiple games coming to PlayStation and or Nintendo, then I think that there's more to unpack. And I do understand why some Xbox fans are a little concerned. Um, now, again, we don't know what we don't know yet, but what we do know is we've seen the track record of Xbox. We've heard a lot of Phil Spencer interviews Unfortunately, some of them contradict each other in terms of things he said in the past. So we can only go by but so much. And I think that's part of the problem, right? Um, you know, Phil's been on record talking about the Bethesda deal, saying that one minute it's something we're going to do on a case-by-case -case basis. And then the next minute, he also says things like, you know, Bethesda games are going to be anywhere where Game Pass is available. And... That can be confusing. Now, maybe those two statements, they do work well together, but maybe they just weren't articulated the best way by Phil. But I think that the, the, the key theme that, that I have about this, this rumor is the potential for misconceptions this could cause, right? A big question mark that people have had late last year and now into this year is, is Xbox going to go third party? Is Xbox going to go multi-platform? Yeah. Um, and I think Xbox has done all they can in that regard to say, no, we're going to still stay in the console space. The, the problem is, is that do, do people trust Xbox enough to say, okay, they said they're going to stick around. So I'll buy an Xbox now. I, I don't know if that's really true. Um, I think that there's a lot of concern that maybe it isn't smart to invest in Xbox's ecosystem for right now until we have a clearer picture of just how serious they actually are uh, and what they're going to do with exclusives from here on. If, if we're looking at a future, and this is all hypothetical, where let's say like a third of their, their games are available on other consoles, um, it's going to be even less compelling 
to want to buy an Xbox for a lot of people. Because buying an Xbox is not as simple as buying a $500 console. You have to buy new accessories, controllers, you know, rechargeable batteries, headsets. If you don't have one that's compatible across multiple consoles, you got to sign up for a year of Game Pass. So you know, you can you're you're talking about a you know at in a ballpark of a thousand dollar investment to to step into a new ecosystem. People aren't going to do that if if a percentage of your games are already available on the console they already have in their living room. So I think it just do it just you, perpetuates the problem of people are, are already not super motivated to buy an Xbox as it is. My concern is that if this isn't just a one or two time thing with Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves, is that going to worsen the problem to the point where having a console isn't going to make sense for, for Xbox at all anymore? Yeah. So I, I just want to pick your brain on yeah. that since you're on this right now, because I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what you think is let's say that they release multiple first-party games on different platforms, but the exclusivity is based on the fact that all those games are coming out to Game Pass, and Game Pass stays exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem. Do you think that that moves the needle either way? The fact that if you're on PlayStation or Nintendo, you have to pay for those games, but if you're on Game Pass on the Xbox, you'll get those games day one anyway. Do you, would that change perception? Because I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like, think so. You know, I don't think input. so, and I don't okay. think so for two reasons. Number one is, I think that one thing Xbox has talked about is that Game Pass is stagnated. Um, it's not really increasing in numbers the way that they thought it would. And I think yeah. that whether you love Game Pass or you hate Game Pass, I think the reality is Game Pass at present is not compelling enough for people to go and get an Xbox to be a part of it, right? The second reason is what I just said, is that investing in a brand new console is, is not cheap. And I think if people have already committed to being a PS5 gamer or a Nintendo gamer, um, what makes more sense? I mean, yeah, you have to spend money a la carte to buy those games if they come to your console, but you don't have to spend $1,000 or $900 to get an Xbox and all the things you need to get the, the, the right Xbox experience. So I think it's a little bit more manageable to not get the console, but just get the games that you want and, and be able to pick and choose um, so I, I don't think the Game Pass effect is really going to be that impactful. Um, I, I want to give you the floor, but I, the last thing I want to say is this. No, no, go ahead. Um, when we talk about Xbox, I think something that's really important that they're going to have to be careful of if this strategy is true is is to not is to not give away their their brand identity to their competition. Um, there's something special about exclusives. And I think part of what makes a brand what it is, is its catalog. And when you're putting potentially one or two or a fraction of your games on other consoles, um, the allure of Xbox kind of runs the risk of being watered down. Um, and I think that's a real concern. Um, the reality is, is that this strategy, if it's true is not like what we've seen in the past. It's not like Minecraft. It's not like Ori in the Blind Forest. Because we were on this show, like many other podcasts did, and we all said when that Bethesda deal closed, if you think Xbox spent $7 billion just to keep games coming out on other consoles from Bethesda, you're crazy. And we told people, don't use Minecraft and Ori in the Blind Forest as a comparison, because it's not the same thing. And I, I think people are kind of flip-flopping that now where it's like oh i'm not surprised because look at what they did with minecraft well we none of us were saying that 
back when this deal closed. Yeah. So I think we have to not talk out of both sides of our mouths about that kind of thing. It is, if true, yeah, yeah. it's a start of something new. If true, it is going to create some confusion in the community, whether people like it or not. I'm not saying that people who love Xbox should abandon ship. If it's your preferred place to play, then so be it. But I think that they're going to have to tread very, very carefully on the messaging. And they've, they've not done the best job of that leading up to this point right. as it is. So I'm going to be very curious to see what they're going to say and how they're going to approach this, if it is true, to not scare the shit out of it, the Xbox community. Um, so that's yeah. my opening salvo, but I want to give you the floor. What's up? I, I will say, based on what you just said about, you know, not using Minecraft and Ori and, and even uh, Cuphead to a certain extent uh, as, as an example, the only way you could still use that example is if this ends up being like a Hi-Fi Rush. Because I think Hi-Fi Rush, along the lines, is still a very niche kind of game. But in terms of the overall of everything, I, my, my stance is, is I feel like Xbox... You should never have to to, to talk about or, or speculate on rumors and leaks. However, this is a little different because this is changing kind of the 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 the, the way people think about Xbox, and it's based on these on these rumors by these sources that have been right a lot of times. And so they're not they haven't even said that all games are coming out to Xbox, but the fear is that they will. And I think that if Xbox wants to nip that in the bud and, and and maintain like marco said the brand identity they definitely have to come out and be like hey hey this is still a case-by-case -case base this is a niche product three million people played uh uh, uh hi-fi rush and we want more people to get eyes on it you know so that would make sense to me however if this becomes something else entirely, this is is detrimental to the brand. But I, I will say, for, for the sake of the conversation, I want to play a little bit devil's advocate in this sense. Like, what is Xbox truly losing if they do that in that... Even in their most successful time, when there was the Xbox 360, when it was all said and done, they still put everything they had into that console and still managed to come out in third place behind the Wii, behind the PlayStation 3 in terms of sales globally. Even though it was pretty close, it, it, PlayStation 3 ended up outselling the Xbox 360 on a global scale. So if they do this, what they end up doing is guaranteeing third place every console cycle, but bolstering their publishing outright in terms of how much they make. So I guess for me, what I want Xbox to clear up, and this is not going to be a popular stance if they do this, is what do they want? Do they want to make the most money possible with the Xbox brand, or do they want to establish a brand identity and an actual competitor in the console cycles, right? I don't think that's what they want to do. I think they're slowly but surely going to end up going third party eventually, but I think they need to be clear because it, it's at the end of the day it's unfair to the xbox community to or even people who might be interested in xbox if the future of xbox isn't in consoles and it's in publishing if that's the case they have to be up front but the problem is is they're a corporation they won't be up front they want people to buy as much as they can before they 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 they, they 
give you the the bad news, right? Uh, so to speak. But you know, it's just one of those. It's one of those weird moments again. The Xbox finds itself in a weird situation because we love Xbox leadership because they're always communicating. But this is the drawback of that because so many people are talking, so many people are saying different things, and Xbox and Phil Spencer is the end all be all, I guess. But even Phil Spencer said that's not what whatever what's his name from uh, Scott something I, I forgot in November he said I, I for, sorry guys I forgot the he's one of the one of the leaders in in Xbox he said that eventually they're they're what they want is everything oh, on Tim every, every platform Tim Stewart right? the CFO Tim Stewart yeah. that's right he said that and then Phil comes back comes back to, and clears that up and says that's not really what we're gonna do and yet here we are with a rumor that may not be that but it feels like it's that yeah. and so that's where we have to kind of it almost feels like Phil's final word isn't very it doesn't mean much anymore because Tim Stewart is saying something Phil's saying something else and then we're getting rumors where it's like hmm i think what tim stewart's saying might have a little more validity and so that's kind of where i'm stuck in this weird spot where from a from a from a person who's always been uh, console agnostic though i do prefer xbox uh, the, or uh, ecosystem it, 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 it this feels weird to me and i just want them to be clear though i doubt that they will be i, I it doesn't behoove them to be honest in this sense because they don't want to cut themselves off at the knees right now you know but i don't know we'll see this might end up being nothing this might end up being hi-fi rush and that's it which i think makes sense uh but if a couple of months down the line starfield gets announced for a playstation or even switch to or something like that that's what we that's when the concerns start rolling in because what we said now comes back and hits us on our face where it's like there's no way they spent seven billion dollars to release on other platforms yet here they are and i guess the entire time all they've been doing is is gearing up their publishing in order to become third party mm. which would be honestly kind of shitty and would leave a bad taste in, in everybody's mouth when it's all said and done so i just want clarification but i fear that even if we do get clarification it's not going to be enough we still have to let this play out because of so many diverse and different voices within the leadership this is kind of the time where playstation being kind of hush hush and nintendo being hush hush all the time comes back and, and, and benefits them because they're not in this position. When I look back at the Wolverine and the Spider-Man 2 reveal trailers, it had the 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 PlayStation insignia, but nowhere did it say only on PlayStation off off the bat, off the reveal. But nobody questioned that because that they've never had that. They've never really had that conversation where we might release this on something else. Never been the never been something that they've yep. talked about. So yeah, it, it it's a very weird spot right now where Xbox finds themselves in. And they have the direct the direct coming up, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I don't know. I, I, I was very much at the beginning of this, like kind of like, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. And I think I've set with it. And I still feel that it's not a big deal yet but it could definitely evolve to a big deal. Well, it's deal. all about the precedent that it sets for their future, right? Because, mm -hmm. it, it, listen, if, if they're going to spend the next couple of years dancing around rakes, um, they're eventually going to step yeah. on one. Uh, that's just reality. And frankly, the, the idea of every... I mean, <laughs> what this would essentially do is every game that gets announced that's an Xbox game is going to come with the question of, is this going to be exclusive to Xbox? Uh, the notion yeah. of having to deal with that every single time a new game is announced, it it sounds completely exhausting to me to just think about that. Like, look at what happened when, when Marvel's Blade got announced and it wasn't, 
abundantly clear that that was going to be an exclusive game. The PR, uh, the press release didn't say anything about it. It it launched without any kind of, of Xbox marketing or logo with it until later on. Um, and even then, that didn't really spell out right. that this was an exclusive. It just told us what we already knew that, yeah, it's coming to Xbox. Well, no shit. But, you know, clearly <laughs> you've you've left the community very confused. And in the weeks that followed, nothing came about from Xbox to clarify that at all. So if it, you yeah. know, now that along with this, I think is just kind of creating a snowball effect of, okay, so what's going to happen from here on? Is it going to be every Disney or Marvel licensed game is coming to all the consoles? Is it, is it going to be niche games like Hi-Fi Rush? Like what exactly constitutes what case by case means? Like, what does that even signify? Is it, yeah. is it, is it, are games that don't perform well on Xbox going to be the ones that are considered to go multi-platform? Okay, yeah. Is it going to be the ones with Good the point. highest ceiling for success that are going to go multi-platform? So, like, if you're asking me today, like, oh, is is Halo going to be on the PlayStation? No, I don't think Gears or Halo or, or even Forza are going to wind up elsewhere. But I think that these licensed IP or some of these newer franchises... Maybe that maybe those could be part of it, but that's where it gets it gets too much into the what if territory in a way that feels really uncomfortable. So I I think what Xbox needs to do is they need to make it make sense. You know, I do not want to see and I'm just I'm just saying it now. If the switch Two is revealed and Hi-Fi Rush is on a sizzle trailer and that's as far as much as we get out of like what the answer is to all this. And there's no explanation from Phil or anybody from Xbox about why this is happening, what this means, what this doesn't mean. And it's just, Oh, but hi-fi rush trailer on, on the new switch. I'm going to be pretty upset about that because now, now you're burying your head in the sand at this point. Now you're not even attempting to tackle the, the concerns that the community has. Um, and, and on top of that, you're also not giving you're not giving your own pipeline enough time to flourish first. Like you just got ABK, you know, why not give right. this another year or two, see how your new pipeline kind of affects sales. And maybe it gives an uptick for console units sold. And if you get the next call of duty on game pass, maybe that spikes up the game pass numbers. Like, I just feel like they're jumping the gun here by not giving their, all of their purchases enough time to properly flourish and, and assimilate to the Xbox ecosystem first before making these decisions. Like it just seems like an untimely, uh, you know, white flag in, in, in a certain respect. Like, like they feel the need to do this for some, you know, reason that comes across to me as like a, a little dose of like, we have to pivot because we failed in the console space. Well, you don't know that yet. Um, and so it just feels a bit premature, uh, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Now, to be clear, and correct me if I'm wrong, Marco, there hasn't been a first-party game besides Minecraft that has released on any other console yet, right? I can't think of one. Like a first-party owned oh, by Xbox. Because Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Yeah, because Ori, they own the publishing, but they don't own Ori. They don't own Cup Hub. Cuphead right. developer. The only thing that I can think of is 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 um is Minecraft. Yeah. So as it st as it stands today, they've not ever done this. So you know there is that to kind of hold on to where this isn't something. This isn't they haven't ever really done anything where they release a first party game onto something else. But 
the hi-fi rush would be that first time that they did that because that that would it's something that they own so i'm interested to see that uh what the conversation is what what if if we ever get an explanation as to okay you want this game to to have more eyes on it but does that mean now that because a first party game that you own you're able you're willing to do that are you going to be able are you going to do that to any other game you know that comes out even if it's first party if it doesn't make the numbers that you want it's just it, it, it just opens up a lot of doors that really shouldn't yeah. be open yeah. but it's too soon know, for this here here we yeah. are yeah yeah and I, we'll see what happens um uh as time goes on but it would it would be um it would be a weird weird time in in in, in the console space if if this is what they want to do i would go past and, weird and, and, and look <laughs> it would be insulting to me yeah it would be well, I, but Marco, but let's say this, even if they, that's their plan, that's what they want to do, then just say that. Because at that point, now when the new PlayStation gets announced, right, and the news, whatever, I can prioritize what I want in my household. And I can make sure whether or not this is an investment Correct. I want to make. And and if they're, they're, they're going to keep doing the case-by-case thing, even if Phil comes out tomorrow and says, hey, listen, we're still on a case-by-case basis – I don't think that's enough. I, I think case by case, okay, what are the parameters? What does the game have to do or not do in order to go on the PlayStation exactly. or on the Nintendo? Because I, I want to know what that is because at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm not the rich, I'm not rich at all. So I, I, I can afford three consoles, but things are going to get more expensive. Oh, yeah. And if I can bypass a place a Xbox new Xbox and get a PlayStation Six and a Nintendo Switch Three, uh, rather than just you know, then that's what I'll do. But it, it just there's a lot of questions that have to be answered here. And unfortunately, uh, the thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way the most is the fact that this could easily be uh, rectified by just putting a little thing on there that says only on Xbox. Yep. That's all they yep. have to do. And they and the fact that they haven't done that is still it's weird. That's why to it's me, so insulting know? too. It's like why would you just sit yeah. around and observe us being completely disappointed in you? Like why? Like yeah. you know uh, maybe they wanted to kind of sit back and, and and read the room and see what kind of response that would get. But I mean you know a lot of people who are you know who champion Xbox who cover Xbox, uh, the Jess Cordons of the world, a lot of other you know a lot of them like. This ain't it if this is what's going to be the the future of Xbox because it's it's just insulting that you you ask people to buy your console 3 years ago and and wait it out for an extended period of time for things to finally get moving and get in motion and for the pipeline to start pipelining and Starfield's here and this is here and that's coming now this is here now we bought them and you finally start getting everything lined up and the thanks people get for waiting through all those dry spells and all those bad years and all those bad generations is, thank you for waiting. Now we're going to put our games out on the consoles that are kicking our asses right now. It's just like, what? Again, I have yeah. to keep caveating this by if it's true. This could very well be a, a giant-ass nothing burger. But I, I, I still think that there are some symptoms that are that are real with the blade situation and with the lack of a response to this situation that do kind of give me some, some concern that this is true to some yeah, extent. Yeah. Um, I, I'm at a point now where I'm pretty, there's something's something, coming to another console. I think that is, well, there's smoke, there's yeah, fire. Something's going to yeah. happen, but I, I think the severity is going to be the key. I, I don't think it's just hi-fi rush. 
I yeah. don't. I think the Sea of Thieves things makes a lot of sense too. But you know that that at that point, if you start putting, I think on their own, Hi-Fi Rush or Sea of Thieves or even the Oblivion stuff because it's, it, that's been on other consoles. On their own, that coming out on its own onto different consoles. Okay, that's cool. But if you if you go back to back to back now you have three games that you own first party games now appearing on a different uh console that's just going to add fuel to the fire and you said something really and we'll move on but you said something really important earlier that i want to lean into one more time you talked about sony and, and, and nintendo not doing this that can't be understated that's that's extremely yeah. important because when we talk about brand identity what i mean when i said that is you don't see playstation and nintendo doing anything like this unless they're contractually obligated to do so or or like MLB like MLB the show, show right. or if they're in such a, a, a market leading position that they can afford to do it like marathon from Bungie is coming to multiple consoles um destiny content is going to remain multi-platform so they're, they're they are doing similar things but they're in such a position of prominence at playstation and nintendo where they can they can afford to do that at will, at, at their discretion, whenever they want. It doesn't feel the same here. It feels like a lot of confusion is driving this initiative, and maybe some admissions of defeat are driving this potential initiative, too, with Phil Spencer's interview at the X-Cast yeah. last year, talking about how we've already lost, and there's no way to out PlayStation PlayStation. Maybe some of this is the Phil Spencer effect coming in uh, in, a, in a pretty strong way, where I, I think maybe a lot of the pushback that he got for saying those things last year um, is kind of warranted now, because if this strategy is a result of his feeling that there's no climbing out of this hole, I think that was a misplaced uh, feeling that, that he had. And I think that he's selling short the potential that Xbox could have to bounce back if they keep what is special to Xbox on Xbox and drive people to join the brand through the console. I think too much emphasis is being put on Game Pass being the platform. It's almost like it's like what they're trying to do is they're trying to make um, their their platform or their gaming space like Windows, like what Windows is. You can get you can get a right. Surface Pro which has it installed already, or you can get an Acer laptop with Windows installed in it. You know, I think their most important priority yeah. is that you get Windows, right? I think Game Pass is in, is, is the same kind of thing that they're trying to do here, where, or the way they, they handle well, their first-party games. Like, you can get them on Xbox, but you could also get them over there, too. You just get them a little cheaper here. Which, you know what I mean? Which leads me to believe that if this is what's happening... That it might not really actually be Phil Spencer's influence or his his plan. It might be the Xbox or the Microsoft overlords like, hey, this is what we want this to be eventually. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then either Phil is following some rules or some things that he has to kind of uh, abide by. But I don't know, man. Like Game Pass is an, is an admission of defeat. What they did with Game Pass was because they were behind. That's a good thing to come out of something bad. Right. Them just giving up on a console is not that. So there's just so many things that we'll probably never really know about. Uh, I, I would say that the, the, the biggest tell would be is if Xbox is going completely third party because of Microsoft, then we will see probably guys like Phil Spencer completely step down. Uh, and, and at that point, that's when we know what's actually happening. But, you know, there's a, there's a long road ahead of us. Um, 
I, I I hope that that's not the case. I hope that Xbox isn't on its way out the door. Um, so uh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's there's a lot to, there's a lot here that's left to to be told in this story, and uh, we'll cover it here for sure as that as that start st- uh, that stuff starts yeah. coming out. Yeah, there's a long road ahead. Hopefully, we'll get some answers sooner than later. I uh, just hope that they understand the risk of public perception and how that could impact uh, the 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 incentive and the value proposition of getting an Xbox what the domino effect of that would be if less people are buying Xbox. That's going to pull probably third parties from wanting to support the system because they're already prioritizing PlayStation SKUs as the lead SKU. We already talked about that you know, last year. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of risk involved in this kind of initiative and what it could do to sort of um, you know, contaminate the discourse uh, in a way that makes Xbox look like it is completely not worth investing in. Um, and... I hope they're mindful of that. This is a really it. It might seem like it's oh, it's just Hi-Fi Rush, it's just Sea of Thieves, um, but the ramifications are much bigger than that. And I'm sure that whatever money they make from the PS5 version of Hi-Fi Rush will not be worth the cost of the PR hit they'll have to deal with um, as a result of that. So let's hope they make the right decisions and 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 keep their feet on solid ground and um, you know really reward the the, yeah. the the loyal Xbox community that's been really waiting for well, something special to happen and not see it get diluted like this. I hope because, you know, you start connecting other stuff like Phil Spencer says he doesn't feel like it made a made console cycle um, upgrade is imperative. Uh, so you start kind of taking all these little sound bits that he said and you put them together and it sounds a lot like, yeah, we're not really focusing on consoles yeah. right now, which is, which is sucks, uh, which is sucks. <laughs> That's English, which is sucks. <laughs> That definitely it is, is the it sucks. sucks. It does uh, all the sucks. Yes, yep. it does. <laughs> all right, man. Well, you know, not everything is total gloom and doom over at uh, Team Green. Um, but we do have to talk about the Xbox Developer Direct that was announced. It's going to be dropping uh, in a few short days, uh, which will be showcasing Indiana Jones, Avowed, Hellblade 2, and more. Uh, so Pablo, you know, now that the next developer direct is official and coming very soon, um, what are we most excited to see here? And do you expect any surprises or shadow drops to come? And I guess what's your disposition coming into this right now? I'll be honest with you. I- I'm not that, um, excited really? uh, for, for the direct. Uh, yeah, look, I think the surprise for me that Indiana Jones is going to get a a um, an entire showcase and and gameplay i am i am interested i am intrigued by that and obviously the avowed stuff as well but what what's kind of concerning me is the fact that they've put era aura history untold who a 4x <laughs> strategy game that's not exactly something we're going to be excited about so the fact that it's a pillar of what they're talking about last year they had they talked about uh, elder scrolls online in, in their thing which i think is is a much better thing to talk about than than something like era history untold um but the one thing that i've been hyper focused on by reading everything that they've said that there's going to be on the show has been hellblade 2 because they talked about we're going to get uh these uh, we're going to get this information based on the history and the journey that's made to make this game but they not had they have not specified that we'll talk about gameplay when you talk about Hellblade in the first Hellblade game, gameplay is the one thing that people criticize the most, at least one of them. And the fact that they've not talked about it at this point feels like they're yeah. hiding something. My, uh, my, here's my, here's my second possible thought process. And this has been a rumor is that there's going to be a game announced or a game shown here that is going to come out 
days after it's announced. If Hellblade 2 is that game, comes out a week later, then I could understand maybe them just like, okay, the game's coming out soon, experience it there, okay, fine. But the fact, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that that game is going to be our history untold, which is why it's here. Uh, I don't think that Hellblade 2, if they don't show that gameplay stuff, I am going to be officially worried about that game. Because I, I, I like the first game, I think the first game is interesting. It's what it, yeah, it's cool. what it does. It is a very small mm-hmm. game, but this game is being hyped up as a triple A, uh, uh, Unreal Engine five powerhouse of a game, and I think that this game has to hit on all those quadrants: story, gameplay. If it have environmental puzzles, those got to be good. Like they they have to really deliver on this game. And the fact that if they don't talk about um, gameplay at all, or they don't show gameplay, then at that point they're hiding something, and they're probably hiding the weakest part of that game which i would find extremely disappointing because i want to be able to to enjoy this game on every level and i think xbox again they they can't afford to have mid-tier kind of games um last thing i'll touch on that i do think there's going to be a shadow drop uh the shadow drop is going to be stalker 2 that's kind of my prediction on the show the reason for that is last year they talked about that stalker 2 is aimed at an early 2024 release don't get much earlier than January. They're it's not, they're not going to talk about it on here. Last year, Tango GameWorks was not part of the rundown, and they showed up and released uh, Hi-Fi Rush. So this feels like that could be a potential. I'm just going by the structure of last year. I don't think it's 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 I don't think it's it's, it's something that they could keep up keep doing every year, shadow dropping a game. But I do feel like that 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 Stalker 2 would be that. There's a lot of talk about Stalker 2, the gameplay not being great. And so you can give a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, of a pass on the game that's coming out of Shadow Drop. They kind of rely on the, on the hype of another Shadow Drop and kind of hopefully they're, they're praying that a lot of the stuff that doesn't work on the game, it, it doesn't get smashed to bits because of the situation that they're in, obviously. Uh, and, and the fact that it is a Shadow Drop. So they're, they're going to, work on the hype off of that but that's kind of where i'm at i am excited about indiana jones very interested to see what that ends up being also i think that confirms the fact that it is coming out this year i hope that's the case um so i i i'm excited i'm not excited i'm intrigued but at the same time i'm going to be watching this with a with a watchful eye because i i want to see what they're going to show deliver here uh but that aura history untold is like what are we doing guys i don't want you to tell me that history i don't need to i don't need you to tell it yeah remain untold please (laughs) (laughs) that'd be a terrible subtitle how about you marco what do you feel Um, man so in terms of disposition um I, I get a lot of like here we go again energy with this one and here's why the first developer direct came off the heels of Xbox's well-documented abysmal 2022 where it was just right up bone ash dry out there with releases and morale was low it was looking really really sad and we didn't know what to make of Xbox anymore and then they come out with the developer direct Give us a little surprise and delight with Hi-Fi Rush shadow dropping. Give us a lot to look forward to with the other games that they showed off. And, you know, it kind of started this 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 uptick of, of positivity a little bit, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more. I almost feel like we're in a similar position now, um, especially with the recent stuff we just talked about with the third party concerns and right. is Xbox getting out of the console space and them being very quiet about things and, you know, the blade controversy and all that. 
I almost feel like we're in a very similar position again, where the developer direct has uh, a pretty unfair burden on it now to be extra special to kind of reinstill confidence in Xbox as a brand really being serious about what they're doing and really rewarding the Xbox community um, and not rewarding everybody. Um, right, so right. it's going to be an important one for them. Um, I am, I'm moderately excited about it. Um, you know, I've been on the show talking about how I'm not an Indiana Jones guy that that's not going to change just because this game looks great. I hope it does. I will be, you know, interested to play it, um, because it's machine games and I love Wolfenstein. Um, but you know, it's, that's really not going to be the thing I'm going to keep the eye on an eye on the most. It is going to be Hellblade 2 and Avowed for me. Uh, Hellblade 2, uh, according to what I heard, there's mock reviews they did, and it was like in the 90s. Oh, I saw, saw it too. Yeah. Doesn't mean a lot to me, honestly, um, for the reasons you mentioned. Like, why can we, why can't we just see the gameplay? I just want to see what this gameplay is like, and not in a like spliced up trailer. Give me a section of the game. Let me see what the gameplay loop is. And let me kind of go from there. But it just seems like they're very, very protective of this game for some reason. And I don't know if it's because they think they have something truly special that they don't want to spoil. Could be. Or if it's out of concern that, you know, people might look at it and go, this just kind of looks like a prettier version of the first game. Um, The combat did look a little bit like a prettier version of the first game from the last trailer we saw. But, you know, you never know. Um... I think Avowed is where I I would probably be the most intrigued. Um, Obsidian, you know, didn't get the best feedback about Avowed the last time it showed. Um, The art style, people didn't like very much at all. They thought it looked a little bit old and dated and last gen and uh, lacked a lot of details and effects that made it look really unique. Um, I hope that they've addressed some of those concerns uh, when they show the game off again. Um, I also think that they have, um, you know, they've, they've been very quiet as well. Like, we just don't know that much about this game either. And so it's time to kind of spill the beans. And I hope that it's in the same vein that we just talked about Hellblade 2. I, I hope that the, 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 the secretive nature of how they've handled Avowed is because they think they have something unique. Um, if, if this ends up whittling down to kind of a palette swap between the Outer Worlds and, and this, then... I don't know how hyped I'm going to be for that. I'm hoping for something that's pretty, you know, big and ambitious and expansive. Um, if it feels a little bit, you know, kind of segmented and bite-sized like the Outer Worlds did, then I don't know if I'm going to be super hyped about it. Um, but I do think that they are an extremely talented studio, so I'm going to be very curious to see what they can come up with. Um, I, I think the other yeah. thing I'll say is I want them to be careful about what else they put into the show like there Sarah Bond I think mentioned something about seeing Elder Scrolls online during the the showcase and I'm like again this is just well they they said um they've now cleared that up and it's gonna be a showcase after okay the direct okay that's okay never mind but I I I still want them to be careful to not use this this space for that kind of thing I I, that's just not important right now I think there's far bigger questions to answer about what's in store for us this year in terms of new games and I guess where the hell they're going to end up in terms of platforms. Yeah. Um, and I'd rather them devote this time to exploring that stuff with us than anything else. In terms, in terms of Shadow Drops, last thing, um, I am hoping for Stalker 2 also. However, the realistic part of my brain is thinking, I'll bet you it's going to get delayed to like June or something. Uh, right. and we'll find out then. And maybe this Double Fine rumor 
of their next yeah. game could be the shadow drop. Um, they, they have been kind of sounding like they've got something they want to show sooner than later. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it could be that. Uh, and I'd be down to check out what they're working on. Uh, it has been yeah, a decent Tim amount Schaefer of time. Yeah, Tim Schaefer said, hey, we're working on something else, but we're, we'll talk about it whenever we're ready. Like, you don't have yeah. to say that. Yeah. So now, real quick, Marco, to, to touch on one thing that you said um, yeah. about the mock reviews. Yeah. I want to remind everybody, they had mock reviews for Redfall, and it was they were in the 80s. <laughs> so let's not put yeah. too much stock in, in that shit, because uh, I don't doing know that? about that, you know? Yeah, who's sipping the Kool-Aid uh, yeah, who, over there? Who, who played that game and said 80? Because I want them <laughs> fired with the T at the end. <laughs> oh, that's shit. what I want. All right, man. Well, that is going to do it for hit points this week. It is time to get to the main event of the show. But before we do so, listen, if you made it this far, you like what you're hearing, we'd really love it if you can consider subscribing to our podcast right now. Uh, we know we're in a very oversaturated podcast space with all kinds of gaming podcasts out there. Uh, hopefully, we you know, tapped into something that appeals to you in terms of our style and our, our grace and our form. Um, and, uh, if that's the case, <laughs> listen, Spotify, po- uh, Apple podcasts, Google, you know, the drill, we're even on YouTube with audio versions of the show. So if you're interested in checking us out or sticking with us for the long haul, uh, those are the best places to find us and subscribe. If you're a long time listener, um, of course, you know, we're going to ask you for the, the reviews. Um, that does go a huge, huge way for us in terms of boosting us up the algorithms, getting us further higher up the search results and getting more eyes and ears on us uh, from gamers like you who might be looking for alternatives to what else is out there. Uh, so that sounds good to you. That sounds great to us. And we'd appreciate it. So that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into the main event that we call the Checkpoint Chat. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, Pablo. Look, man, when it comes to video games, I think we can all agree that we've all fallen for the honeymoon phase before. But uh, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. So we're here to finally come clean today. In no particular order, both me and Pablo have selected five games each that we used to love that are actually not as great as we said they were. And these could be games that are simply good instead of being great, like we said they were. Or they could be seen as being disappointing or mediocre or just flat out bad now uh, when we look back on them in retrospect. So um, we've kept our list secret from each other. Uh, So this will be interesting for us to kind of hear what we're going to reveal today. as with any opinion-based segment of the show, um, please remember, we are not being controversial for the sake of being controversial. Everything that we're saying is what we genuinely feel, and your opinions might differ from ours. Uh, we are certainly not trying to run you out of here by uh, poo-pooing games that you don't like or that you do like. I'm sorry, if you do like. Um, but, you know, the, the theme of this is that, you know, this is all based on how we feel. Uh, so, look, let's agree to disagree if there's certain games we're going to call out today that you happen to be fond of. Uh, but, Pablo... Oh, there are going to be games out here that people are fond of. Oh, I know. Yeah, um, I got, I got because some, I got some I, heat. <laughs> yeah, I, I took this as, a, as, like, my very own therapy session where I took stock of all my beloved games that oh. I'm working on 100 times. And I said, what games... I, I, I Because I did it different. I, I, there's no game on my list that is out, out and out bad. These are games that I, in my heart of hearts, believed that I loved. And while taking stock of these games, I realized 
either they've been outdone by other games or they're just not as great as I thought they were to begin with. Yeah. Um, you know, nostalgia is a very, very, very powerful thing. But at the end of the day, I just looked at these games and I said, they're, they're just not the games I thought they were. They're, they're, they're not my beloved games anymore. So that's where I'm at. Okay. I don't think it even matters if I, if I even said these games are great because you people are just going to be mad as fuck at me. And oh, that's yeah. okay. Uh, I still like these games very much. And I will still probably talk about these games on the show uh, and praising them if they ever do come up. But in terms of love, games that I, these games I no longer, I got no love for these motherfuckers. Mm. I don't love you no more. I'm breaking up with them. <laughs> okay. They're just going to be very good friends. Oh, okay. All right. Platonic. You want me to start off? Yeah. Uh, now, you can go as spicy or unspicy as you want. I'm going to leave that up to you. Um, so the floor is yours. You pick whatever you think is a good starting point. Yeah, you're right. I was gonna go super spicy, but let, let me let me kind of let me start off as less spicy okay. and then the gradually. The uh, All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So first game I'll talk about actually two games, and you'll know why. Uh, Rainbow Six Vegas one and two. Mm. Uh, I I still think these games are great, and that's the theme. You'll hear that a lot. But nothing makes you feel more like an elite squad of people trying to defend or infiltrate than its online counterpart, Siege. I think Siege is the absolute version of these games. They're the most fun I've had playing a Rainbow Six game, and I don't actually remember anything memorable from its story-driven uh, campaign about Rainbow Six. In fact, uh, nothing about the squad-based combat works as good as Siege or as the game that, that came out a year before the original game, which was SWAT 4. I think SWAT 4 is the better version of Rainbow Six single-player action. Um, just so much about Vegas worked for me back in the day. I thought it was unique in, in, in its, its approach. Uh, but ultimately for me, even going back to those games fairly recently, specifically too, there's nothing about those games that are, 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 are that, that remain to be elite in, in what they do. They're, they're, they're very kind of mundane at parts, kind of boring and, and really just not the experience I remember having with these games. It's just games that unfortunately they've been outdone in, in, in its class many times over and then you have a game like siege which you guys know that i love it, this is the which is the absolute uh it's the it's, it's the, the, the mecca yeah. of these games yeah yeah right. so that's where i'm starting off with rainbow six uh vegas one and two as games i no longer love yeah they were very much a product of their time um, you yes. know, and they were cool for what they were. Um, I, I wasn't very much into those games uh, back then or Ghost Recon either. Um, I just did something about them didn't really click with me back then. But you're right. I think, you know, Rainbow Six Siege at this point is is, is it's pinnacle Rainbow Six. It's exactly what I think the the dream come true experience always was. Uh, and those games, you know, I, I it, they were they served up what? ultimately would become right. Rainbow Six. So I appreciate that they exist, but yeah, I agree. They're, they're not really yeah, that sure. special. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with that. You know, they're just n there's nothing about them that I, I... Honestly, I don't think there's anything about those games that really... Uh, make Siege better. Like, there's nothing that's... You know what I mean? Because I know that Patriots was... Rainbow Six Patriots was a game that we lamented because it's not going to have that single-player uh, experience. But I don't think Rainbow Six needs single-player campaign. It just doesn't. So, yeah. No, no. All right. Well, um, what well, you got? I'll go ahead and start with uh, maybe a safe one. Um, but my first pick of a game that I don't love anymore is Metroid Dread. 
Whoa! Yeah, you. What's that, funny is you mentioned Metroid Dread to me offhand uh, the other day, yeah. and uh, I just I kept my mouth shut. I'm like, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> I didn't think it was that spicy, but yeah, it's I, that's I, spicy because you were you that that was the game you liked. I was high on this game. Loved, yeah, I loved it. Now I I think it's very disappointing and very forgettable in retrospect. Um, I think it's for starters. I think the main thing for me is that I found the gameplay in hindsight to be very underwhelming. Um, being chased around by those robots got really old, really quick. It felt like um, a lot of trial and error, a bunch of fail states with being caught. And then you have to watch the death animation a million times. You have to restart. Um, it just got really, really fatiguing after a while. Um, the game also rehashes a lot of elements as well, particularly mini-bosses. Um, they do regurgitate those mini-boss fights quite a bit, and they'll do the thing where uh, here's the first mini-boss, and then here's the second one where we're going to give two of those same mini-bosses you're going to have to fight now, Ooh. and now you're going to have to do it here. Uh, and now they're, you know, it just it just felt very, very repetitive in that sense. Um other bosses, like main bosses, had very strange fight strategies or difficulty spikes at times. The game would go from being like painfully difficult to like stupid easy and then back to painfully difficult again. Um, and I just found that to be really annoying. And it just felt like the game was out of balance at all times. Um, and it also lacked memorable moments other than like there was a floor caving in sequence that happens towards the beginning of the game. I don't think that anything that happened since then uh, was really all that memorable or cool. Um, I would also say that as a Metroidvania, the map design was very subpar, in my opinion. A lot of the locations were very boilerplate and predictable. Here's the lava level, you know, here, you know, things mm -hmm. like that I just felt were kind of a bit uninteresting. Um, and then there was a lot of weird, quirky, like secret, invisible main quest pass that players wouldn't even think to look for. Like, oh, I didn't know I had to shoot that wall that looked like it was impenetrable to find the place to go next. Uh, not even for like a side area, but like for, to, to literally progress the game. I just, Metroidvanias are always a little bit, you know, like a labyrinth in terms of design. This took it to a degree that I think was just kind of unnecessary and a little amateurish to me. Uh, the last yeah. thing I'll say is presentation wise, I think the 2.5D style really didn't add any value to the game. Uh, and the music was really lacking because there was hardly any of it, which is okay from a standpoint of like, you know, kind of getting immersed in the ambient sounds, but it's just not very Metroid to be that minimalistic. So I, I really, in, in hindsight, I didn't love that as much as I thought I did. So yeah, I had to throw Metroid Dread in, into the pile here. Just it's not a game that I, I, I look back on all that fondly anymore. And even when I returned to it a little while later, it was like, yeah, it's just kind of no reason to play this again. Nothing really, nothing really makes me want to come back and relive anything that this game did. So, I thought it qualified for this list. So here it is. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good one. That's a good one. Now, my next, my, the next game on my list is a game that I don't think you've ever liked. So I think you'll be in agreement with this. Uh, I guess call this hungry for more of this kind of content, and that was Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Oh, um, yes. I, I, uh, me and Marco, uh, you know. 
even as as recently as a couple of years ago, we're talking about how I love Peace Walker and he adamantly did not like it. I replayed it on the HD version of it, and I have to agree, man. This game doesn't doesn't really add anything interesting to the franchise. I, yeah, a lot of people are like, but this is what you see Snake as big boss and his at full power. I, 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 the quality of that game doesn't really feel like that you know sure that's the subtext that's what the story is telling you but it's just so low stakes for me i i don't like the way the story is doled out it's cheaply made uh not to mention like the actual story itself it jumps the shark in a way it doesn't seem like the thought out nonsense that kojima usually has this just felt like really put together in weird spots like characters like dr strange love like what the fuck are we talking about here like and pause and and, and spoilers like her betrayal at the end so coming from a mile away didn't really not necessarily interesting either and what what the outcome of all of it just really amounts to nothing just kind of boss uh, big boss uh you know creating the outer heaven like it's these little things that we didn't need a whole game to tell us about just come out in this game and, and, and it's not very interesting at all uh, for whatever reason in my head i just felt like this was an ins- essential metal gear solid game telling you the story after snake eater 10 years after big boss reconciling his memories and kind of getting over fi- uh, beating the boss and and none of that really comes through it's not written well enough to do that for you and again a lot of the major story plot points are told through these comic book vignettes st- st- uh, style of, of storytelling which don't it's not metal gear man that's not what we're what we want to see metal gear for and so ultimately for me i have to kind of come to terms with that and realize that peace walker is not a game i love and it's probably the only game on my list that i can say it's actually not a very good game yeah uh so uh but yeah i, I it took me some time marco but I, i've come to terms with that uh and uh yeah that's where i'm at peace walker not a very good game no, game i no longer love yeah this was an era for kojima that started um really irritating me because every new metal gear was undermining the last metal gear yeah and this was a really big example of that much in the same way i think of mgs4 kind of ruining uh the story from mgs1 and 2 this one just kind of took everything that ended on such a great note with snake eater and completely shit all over it like turning yeah, yeah. turning the boss into an ai and bringing oh, that, that was, character that's back. The, that's the jump shark that I was talking oh, about. Oh my god. It was it's it was brutal. Um a lot of the, you know, the, the ancillary characters that, you know, you were referring to didn't add any substance or value to that game whatsoever. Um it it started a a really annoying trend that would that would um happen in subsequent games where it would be very mission based. Um where yeah. you do these little 2 minute missions and it was kind of like now that wasn't much anything and he brought that into mgs5 which i i hated the mission structure there so it just it was one of those games that set a really awful precedent for what the future of metal gear would be in a way that kind of tarnished a little bit of what made uh snake eater so special so yeah i i, yeah. I never loved that game I, I never will i will always hate it in my yeah. heart <laughs> all right let me get one tick spicier here this is like hot ones but with uh video game takes um I'm a big fan of this series. I am. And I, I've always loved it. Uh, I always get excited when I hear something new about it. But I have to be honest, Devil May Cry 5 was terrible. Oh, my God. Thank you. I hate that game now. Um, I don't know about terrible, but... I No, I said terrible. <laughs> I say terrible. I think... And the terrible aspects of this game start with the story and the characters. Um, right. N- Nero, to me, 
is and forever will be a great value version of Dante. Uh, meanwhile, they turn Dante himself into like this side character turned comedy act. I mean, they literally had him dancing like Michael Jackson for <laughs> like a minute in this game, like a whole dance number. It's like, this is, I know he's always been a, you know, a, a you know, a funny guy, a, you know, with a lot of punchlines and one-liners and what whatnot. But I just don't understand the decision to not just let us play as the guy we want to play. Like they, they, they held him back from being playable until way later into the game. And by that point I was already checked out. Then there was V who later becomes Virgil. <laughs> He's the weird dark haired Gothic guy. Who's awkward and very poorly, poorly voice acted. Um, and then a lot of the side characters were total non-starters. Uh, the, the girl that's with Nero that has the, the really awfully forced country accent. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And then the old, uh, the old I guy that apparently knows Dante forever that we've never seen before in, in any of the games I'm aware of. Uh, you know, he was featured in the introduction of the game and it's like, who, who is, whose man is this? Like, I don't even know what to make of this. <laughs> and then a lot of the late game story revelations, I think just came way too little too late. Uh, in my opinion. And in terms of gameplay, I think it sucked. I mean, the the enemy variety left a lot to be desired. The locations lacked flair and imagination. Yeah, locations were bad. There was a weird online co-op component that never felt cool or didn't work properly at all. The devil breaker hand attachment things, I hated that. The turn the gameplay into like a, a loadout management fest. Why don't you? You know, it's like... And then on top of that, hardly any of those hands made the combat feel any more fun or engaging. So it was like, a, a, again, another non-starter kind of, kind of thing. And the mission structure itself, I think it was the missions were always drab and uninteresting. The menu system was always archaic and strange to navigate. There was too many playable protagonists and too many timeline switches that were happening in between. Um, I, I loved the game at the time because I was so excited that Devil May Cry was, was finally back. And I just couldn't get over the fact that I'm, oh my God, I'm playing a new Devil May Cry. But as time went on and as I went back and revisited the game, it, it, there was like a special edition that came out around the launch of the yeah, PS5 yeah. and Series X. I played that and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. This is horrible. And I was like, okay, I like now I, now I kind of see, I see the truth. This is not a great game. And I, I don't know if I could play another game like this in Devil May Cry 6, if it ever comes that's out. That's right. And I'm not a Devil May Cry fan, and I know a little bit about the story, and I could tell you from a mile away that V was Virgil, and I, I know there was some kind of separation between the two, and the explanation as to how that happened was fucking stupid as hell. It was like he stabbed himself with a sword, separating his human side and all that bullshit. I, I thought this game was cool to play. I like some of the stuff where like uh, you can separate the motorcycle that he's riding in and, and use that as weapons. Like, it had some visual flair that was pretty dope, but ultimately it's not a game that I would ever go back to or even really think as a good game, honestly. It was just like a you know, mediocre, uh, mediocre game. Yeah, yeah. Alright, man. Well, yeah. you're up. What do you got? Yeah, I'm trying to decide what's what's less spicy. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll go with this. No, I think that's pretty. You know what? I don't know, man. I, this is pretty spicy, but I'm going to go ahead and go with it. Let's just get it. Let's go. <clears throat> Fallout 3. Oh, Fallout shit. Fallout 3. <laughs> 
I was trying the to mouth Fallout f- Four with you, but you said three, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna no, no, Fallout Three. I think the definitive version of, of Fallout has always been New Vegas. Uh, look, Fallout Three is a great game. It propelled Bethesda into a higher uh, position than they've ever been before. But it's not their definitive game. I think that's gonna, always going to be Skyrim. I think going back to this game, I, I just really think it's been outdone by Obsidian. It's been outdone by even Cyberpunk in, that, in its kind of uh, setup. It, I, I think it's been outdone by, by Starfield. It's just a game that it was definitely a game of its time. But over time, it just became uh, this, this, this small idea that has only become better and uh, people could be like well without fallout 3 you don't have these other games and those other games and i understand that but in terms of how i feel about the game my my ultimate kind of like mindset behind the game it's just it it, it, i don't think structurally it works well now I, i don't really like a lot of the side stories i don't really like about a lot of the main stories honestly there's some really cool stuff that you can do that that change the 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 your entire playthrough with megaton and all that stuff but the in between stuff it's kind of a it's kind of a slog to play through now man and i've tried going back to it and it was just like man this game just i i the, the beginning of the game is too long i don't like anything about the beginning of the game anymore i don't like anything after the fact i think getting to, to megaton is cool but after all those there's just so many things in that game that don't work any well anymore and to be honest with you when it came out i don't think they worked well then either i just felt like it was different enough to where we were like whoa this is a pretty dope experience but when you see new vegas and what new vegas does with its mission structure its world and when you even see fallout 4 which is a better version of fallout 3 admittedly not uh as uh, game changing right because it is it's following that formula quite down to a t but then when you see things like uh uh, like like cyberpunk which definitely follow that structure closely uh when you see things like starfield when you see things like skyrim and, and, and all that stuff these games are just better in every way and i can't sit here and tell you playing fallout 3 is a great experience anymore it's not a game that i can tell you that, that i love because i don't if if given the, the option to play any bethesda game sky a fallout 3 would not even come close to a game that i pick it's just not a, it's not a beloved game for me anymore it just it, it just for me uh, we i see all the ugly that it's always been there but has been kind of been shown to you by by the other games that Bethesda has made sure you grow you make better games but still when you look at the game that people talk about like the the birth of modern day Bethesda I don't think this is it this isn't the one that that really propelled them it's it's so for me it's definitely a game that I know a lot of people will hate me for but it's not a game that I can sit here and say that I love it's just not oh yeah them, pitf- them, them pitchforks are coming for that ass boy <laughs> oh they, they not, I'm not done yet oh man me neither but you know look I I I honestly I don't disagree on too many things um I, I always enjoyed Fallout 3 for what it was, but I think that as the years went by, it it started developing this like near mythical type of aura around it when you hear people talk about it in a way that I just yes. never experienced myself when I played the game. Um, and, and you really you hit the nail on the head with the writing. I think that the story just wasn't good at all. And, and I guess Mm-mm. that's where a lot of my frustration with Fallout was for a time where... The world is interesting. The lore is interesting. You know, the the, the vaults and the Pip-Boys and all the things that, that give this game franchise character and charm. I love all of that. It's just that the stories that they tell within that world are just not done very good. Bethesda has never really been a great um, narrative-driven studio. 
And for a game to be this expansive and this large and have this much to do and to just never really feel like anything culminated in, in, in like a, a memorable moment. I mean, in terms of narrative, like obviously when, you know, right. you can nuke an entire town. Yeah, you're going to remember that. But like just the, the, the characters, like who are the standout characters in that game? Like just just hard to kind of pick those out of the bunch, you know, like it, it's just um, to me, I think there's a lot more forgettable <laughs> His- stuff about about uh, Fallout 3 than people maybe are willing to admit. Yeah, I think I think that you you said the thing that I that I was trying to find, and it was that there's this this perception of this game that just isn't real. It, it, that mythical level of this is like the game that started it all. How, it it's didn't. a game that definitely is the first step towards what Bethesda is today, sure, but it's not. It's just it's not as good as people remember it to be, and it and it was outdone almost immediately by New Vegas. Like yeah. I mean, like it's not even close. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, all right, man. Um, it's only going to get more difficult from here. Um, this one is more of a. This is a. A very Marco franchise that I have touted as being one of my favorites um, that I have to come clean about here. Um, Resident Evil Village. Um, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Village, bro. I what don't anymore. I don't. Okay, listen. That's fair. Playing playing the Resident Evil Four remake put a yeah, lot yeah. of things in perspective for me about the direction that I think Capcom took with Resident Evil Village and its predecessor, RE7. Um, while, while Village is by no means a bad game, um, in hindsight, I think Village pushed Resident Evil way too far away from its roots. Um, the main character, Ethan Winters, feels like a generic faceless whiny lead protagonist that I think really wore out his welcome over the course of both games he was in which I found really perplexing since Capcom has a bunch of iconic characters in this franchise they could have featured in this game instead of the faceless family man for starters right I also found that the game's outbreak angle uh, was too much of a deviation from the traditions of the series going from zombies and like lab projects gone horribly wrong to haunted dolls and werewolves and a guy with magnetic superpowers uh it just it it jumped the shark in a way that it it went from feeling like resident evil to like a horror movie and where let's think of all the creepiest things we can integrate into this game and call it resident evil and it just didn't click for me uh in hindsight um i also think that what makes previous re games special is how they balance campiness with that just enough plausibility to make you sit back and wonder what if that really happened and this doesn't have that it just goes too far into left field and and uh and i I just don't enjoy it um the first person perspective i think that it made the combat and the shooting mechanics feel very clunky and amateurish and even when they ultimately added in the third person view in a in, in the gold edition or whatever, it still felt like a half measure. Um, and I think even yeah. Capcom knows at this point that um, going first person is maybe the way to go for VR, but it's not really what the identity of the Resident Evil series is or should be anymore, uh, which is why I, I ultimately am glad they decided to make this the, the last chapter of the Ethan Winter story arc. Um, I think that's the right move. I think it's time to take what you're doing so well with 
the remakes that you've been doing and build a new game based around that type of style and that type of gameplay loop um, and just make it better. Um, I think that's the way to go. So it, it was really hard to revisit this game and really feel good about it anymore because I think it's just been eclipsed by what they've done on the remake side. And it really kind of calibrated my mind to go, you know what? It's not a bad game, but it's not, it's just not resident evil enough for me to really love it. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, I agree. It definitely just feels like a whole different game with the Resident Evil kind of uh, name slapped onto it with some, you know, cameos from some iconic characters from the past. But I would be shocked at this point because of how big the remakes have been and how well they've done that at the next mainline, the next mainline Resident Evil game isn't a sequel to like Resident Evil 4 or something. You know what I mean? Like, I would be shocked because at that point, I, I, I don't know if if we would want to see, uh, especially with the advent of, of Resident Evil 4 being so amazing, going back to that first person uh, view and, 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 and telling a weird story that really it has... You really have to connect a lot of dots to kind of bring it back to Raccoon City and, and, and the original kind of outbreak. So you're right on that part. But the game itself is still a game that I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, and I, I would dare say it's a game that I probably still love. But I, 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 I your reasoning makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to move into my other game here. And uh, okay. please don't dox me. Um, Half-Life 2. Uh, kill me, Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say something about this game. This is a game of its time. A game like it before. Uh, there's there have been games like it that have existed before it, but this is the most polished this experience has been, and I think it's the most user friendly a game of this kind has been to a lot of people. And so they really, really, uh, this game was hyped up at its time for good reason, but it was never better than the original Deus Ex or System Shock. It's narrative driven storytelling has been outdone and simply outclassed by the likes of Bioshock, Dishonored, the newer Deus Ex, Wolfenstein, everything that this game kind of leans on. It's a storytelling, uh, in the first person kind of way. And, and, and everything that the game is, is doing, throughout in terms of how it dulls out its narrative and how interesting that is there's i would dare say half-life 2 no longer informs any games that come out today that i don't think people really are inspired by it anymore they're inspired by games that inspired uh like like inspired by dishonored or inspired by bioshock half-life 2 doesn't have that anymore that's the reason why why valve hasn't made uh half-life 3 they can't find an angle to to to, to release it and it'd be as impactful as 2 that's why they decided to go vr with it with half-life alex and and maybe kind of find a a way in that way it's just a game that even when you play it today it doesn't really hold up that well anyway i i don't think a lot of what it does i don't even think the story's that good the shooting isn't that good uh it's just a lot of it that came with it with it being a game of its time and and how interesting it was and how much story they packed into that game but now it's just been outdone by so many games it's no longer a game i love at all and in fact it's not even a game i think it's even that good anymore it's just it's it has too many things going against it at this point in time and i can appreciate for everything it's done but at this point in time, it's not a game that I think people really think about uh, that way. And if they do, it's all tinged by nostalgia and, and, and rose-tinted glasses. Because if you really put your time into this game and realize that there's just been so there have been versions of this game that have, that have killed it and have been so much better. Um, that's and that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> Please don't kill me. What I love about I love what I guys. love about this segment is that you started it off by like I still think all these games that you're. <laughs> 
and then the last two, you're like, actually, I don't think they're that good. Well, anymore. because if you if you play like Half Life Two and compare it to other games of its time, it's by far the best game of its time. I get you know what, what you're mean? saying. Uh, of that it's era. Just funny, but but I it's 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 just they're still good games for what they've done, but. As a game that you can play today, it's not very good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it. I mean, a lot of the the, the physics based gameplay uh, really yeah. does not age the best anymore. It was a cool new thing back in the day. It was like, oh my god, you mean you can pick this up and it'll actually roll down to this and it'll knock that over? Like, oh my god, it's so cool. And now that's so typical, you know, that you yeah, go back and play it now. That. It's like, why are we spending so much time doing this, you know? But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I do disagree on many levels. I think that story still, um, you know, have, has left a mark on me to this day. I, I love the characters. I love where it went uh, with Alex and Eli and um, everything that happened there was really cool. It went nowhere. It went. It, it still hasn't been resolved. It still hasn't been resolved. It went. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, they told you half. They told you half a story on Half Life Two, and we still have don't know the so rest. This is of why it. you're gonna get. This is why you're gonna get attacked by people. This is why it's not called Half Life because. Oh, of the, uh, 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 <laughs> I get. I get it. Um, all right, man. Well, let me let me let me take some bullets here, and I'm gonna take some bullets from you on this one. I know I will. Um, all right. This is where um these next two that I have, um. I'm telling you guys right now, again, I'm not being controversial for the sake of being controversial. I'm not trying to go out of my way to shock anybody just for kicks. But the next game that I don't love anymore is Elden Ring. I'm a stay tuned. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to send you uh, Marco's phone number and his address uh, after the show. I'm going to dox him on this. Get the fuck out of here. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. All right. Go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. Elden Ring is is the prime example of a game that I think is good instead of great for me. Again, for me, for me, for me. I'm not telling this is the, this is not the way I think anyone else should feel, but this is the way I feel, and here's why. In hindsight, I really think that the lack of a good narrative truly holds this game back for me. Um, while Elden Ring's gameplay and structure is a huge leap forward. For Souls games, I think the story was a huge step backwards. Um, starting with the whole, you know, George R. R. Martin is building the lore and and um, you know going to help flesh things out. That added zero value whatsoever to this game. It really devolved into the same, um, you know, m- mystical, forgettable fantasy fair. But except it has a glowing tree at the heart of it all. Um, you couple that with perpetually obtuse dialogue with all kinds of cryptic, riddly, rhymy, gobbledygook bullshit. <laughs> and it just became fatiguing to listen to after a while. Um, no one talks straight. No one gives it to you straight at all. Everybody has to give everything to you like a fucking clue. And it, at some point, I just felt like, can somebody please tell me what all of this is about? in a way that I can actually retain and not have to go on YouTube and watch videos about and still be confused. Um, indecipherable plot threads that made everyone's motivations muddy and unclear. I still don't know what half of those bosses were actually on about at all. They, they, you know, every boss fight would start with them reciting something that sounded like a Bray Wyatt promo, rest in peace, but it sounded like a Bray Wyatt promo. 
And then you'd be like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means, but time to fight. And I think we all just kind of hand waved that off because, well, you know, look, Souls games never really tell great stories. I think I think that excuse is kind of wearing thin on me. Um, and then you couple all of that with a truly atrocious ending. And mind you, I finished the game, guys. I put like about 100 hours into this thing, probably even more. Uh, and probably more. the ending was a slap in the face for all my hard work. Um, I'm sorry, but you got to do more than show my character sitting on a, on a throne and, and then rolling credits. Literally, that's all he did for me in my, in my playthrough. I don't know if there's other, I think there's other endings, but sorry, yeah. that's the one that I got. Apparently I did it. But the, I did it wrong. The other endings aren't, aren't as like, and that's just not like, not fair to me. Give you a huge story behind it either. Not excusable to me anymore. I'm sorry. Being yeah, a Souls I, game doesn't excuse I, here, that, but I'm, I got more to say. But you know, I know I, okay. I figured you were going to want to interject, so let me let give you some. No, stage here. I, I don't. I don't disagree with you in, in that we're narrative-driven guys, and I think when it comes to a narrative a game that has that narrative and it requires you to play so many hours, you would want a some kind of satisfaction in that. I guess I'm one of those people that uh, when I play a Souls game, I expect the story not to be great, and I put more emphasis on its combat and all that. And I think that Elden Ring is just above and beyond any other game that's come out in its genre however i can't i can't sit here and be like critical of your of you know of what you think of it because you're you're a guy who loves its narrative and if that narrative didn't speak to you and you felt you put 100 hours and you got nothing out of that specific part of the game then you you're more than you should be critical of that and i think more people should be critical well, of that as well yeah, I, mean, yeah, I mean but i'm just one of those people that'd be like okay I, i'll definitely excuse it for not having a great story because i enjoyed the combat so much but but I don't think that's a valid excuse to kind of, you know, for people like you and people like me even who love stories. So yeah, much. just a so, lot of no, I, fi- I understand. fingers and, you know, like, what what the fuck are we talking Ooh. about fingers for? Like, and, and you roam around that world and, and, and granted, the world is beautiful to look at. The art style is, is still amazing. I'm not tearing that down whatsoever. But you look at these places and, they, oh, here's some giant statue of this of this, you know, this person. I want to admire this on a deeper level, but I have no fucking clue who this is and what this is supposed to mean to me. Oh, this is the battlefield that the battle of the, the I don't know what the fuck, the sun moon battle of, of tomorrow, you know, they always give it a weird name. Like, Oh, okay. There's that place. I don't know what I'm supposed to draw from that in terms of significance for me. You know, it's so it just, it kind of cheapened a lot of the game's beauties because everything does have meaning in the game. It's just, they don't, they don't make sense of the meaning for you. And then you get into other aspects of the game, like the technical and performance issues. There's pop in is everywhere. It's super distracting. It's annoying. The frame rate constantly drops, which can screw up your frame timing when you're trying to, you know, uh, go against a really trippy boss fight. Um, input delays across all versions of the game that most people don't even recognize, but you know, you press a button and then you just kind of sit back and watch the wind up in the hit. And it's like, but you know, I'm not expecting like Ninja Gaiden levels of instantaneous um, input response, but there is something off with that that has been called out. And I've seen it uh, in, in research. Other people have mentioned it too. Like this is, it just feels like I'm pressing the button and waiting a second. And then the wind up for the attack starts. And I think there's something off about that, that they've never addressed. Which leads me into more gameplay things. I think that there's a lot of weird stuff that isn't really useful or, or is too vague or unclear. Like item crafting, I think, is a pointless chore of a feature that had no value whatsoever in the game. I felt like I was collecting a bunch of leaves and plants and bushes and glowy things on the ground that I rarely ever needed to really sit down and go, okay, now I need to craft this into something that's really, really important. That just never really happened for me in all the hours I played. Um 
Initiating simple things like co-op or PvP actions, needlessly unclear. Uh, why can't you just be more straightforward? You have item descriptions that are still intentionally vague and unhelpful. And it kind of leaves you in that mode where you have to do your, your Googling and your YouTubing just to kind of decipher some of the game's elements that aren't really explained either well or at all. So I think that there's a, a certain level of attrition that I ran into when you count all of the narrative issues, the technical issues and the gameplay, um, you know, obtuse stuff that goes on that really kind of bogged it down for me. And when I've returned to the game uh, as recently as this past week, I, you know, I put a good amount of chunk of time into it and I'm like, I, I don't have the same love in my heart for it. You know, I loved it for what it was when I was at my height of like, oh my God, this game is really special. But Returning to it left a different impression on me that I think I needed to call out, but it's in no way a bad game. It's just a game that I think is good, but has a lot of flaws that don't get called out well enough to me. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that look. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's because I understand, like, when it comes to Souls-like games, those games didn't really speak to you. This one did while you were playing it and you yeah. liked it quite a bit. For So it's a little surprising, but I, I, I don't think anything you said is 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 out of order. You know, I don't think it's like kind of like, oh, really? It makes sense. And I know you as a, as a, as a person, as a person who's a gamer. So I, 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 all this stuff makes perfect sense as to why it's a game you would no longer love. Uh, but you're wrong as fuck. <laughs> you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. So let me go ahead and move into my, my, uh, the game I guess I would consider the most spicy because this is also a Pablo ass franchise. And to, just to be clear, no, I'm not, the, I, I'm not mentioning no Zelda game. So y'all can relax. Uh, but it's close. The game I'm talking about is a game that I no longer love, that I had even in my top 10 for quite a bit, dropped it to my 15, oh, 20, 30, 40. What is it? Super Mario 64? Oh, this guy. I love this guy. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what this game is. This guy knows me too well. Okay. In many aspects, this game still stands the test of time, but I think that's because the formula for a 3D Mario game hasn't really changed much. You know, new iterations of 3D Mario games are better than Mario 64 in every single way. Sure, that's obvious. But I would say um, with each new iteration comes a better understanding of what 3D Mario could be. And you could look at a game like Sunshine, which I feel is much more inspirational to the other games because Sunshine had that water gimmick. And every 3D Mario game after it had a it had a gimmick that really changed the core gameplay of Mario. And Mario 64 doesn't really have that. The the gimmick of Mario 64 is that it's 3D. That's it, you know, and I feel like going back to that game and going back to a game that came very closely after Galaxy Galaxy 2, it's not even fucking close. Sunshine is a much better experience because it gives you something more to do in that franchise. And while I can appreciate Mario 64 for all its innovation and everything that it's done, when you look at the reality of what Nintendo 64 is, it afforded them the ability to make a 3D Mario game, right? And after that, when, when you look at everything else that the game does, there's nothing really in it besides it being a 3D Mario game that informs other Mario games, like I've already mentioned. But it just, it doesn't feel like this essential experience anymore it doesn't feel like if i want to really enjoy a really solid 
uh, Mario game, Mario 64, to go, no, that's not what you do. Like, right now, today, if I really wanted to, 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 to uh, play a really solid 2D Mario game, I would go back to Super Mario World and absolutely be satisfied and, 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 and get exactly what I'm looking for. That game is still perfection today. But if I go back to Mario 64, <laughs> it's almost unplayable in many aspects. And that, to me, is a game that um, just really doesn't stand the test of time throughout and there are elements elements about it that's still good but for me uh, a game that many people offhandedly just throw on their top 10 list because of what it meant to them as a child i get that but as an innovation as a game that does so much for the franchise for the genre you could look at mario 64 and look at its latest entry in odyssey and those two games may look similar in terms of the 3d mario but they're not the same in just about every way and i i, I don't think that the game's grown because of what mario 64 has done it's because of the iterations after it so i can appreciate mario 64 for existing and being the first of its kind because it was the first to release but it's not a game that i really feel does anything particularly well anymore and it's not a game that i love anymore i don't love it at all i i I appreciate it uh but i don't love it anymore well look man i'm not a mario guy so i'm not gonna fight you on it um you know, yeah. quite frankly, I didn't play I didn't play a lot of Mario 64 uh, back in the day or even, you know, when it came to us via like backwards compatibility stuff and things like that. I just, uh, you know, it's yeah. just never uh, been a, a major, um, you know, pillar of gaming for me. So but I know you're going to get roasted. Um, and, you know, look, it, it, I think you make fair points. I do think that other games, particularly Sunshine, don't get enough credit for being as cool as they are. Um, I actually did like Sunshine a fair bit, and I, I think in some ways it's more enjoyable than 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 sixty four. Um, it is to me. I think that sixty four, um, you know, is is such a, you know, it's such a classic game, but but more so because it's like a stepping stone for what Mario would become, and I think that's great it, that it it kind of uh, sowed the seed for you know what three D Mario would ultimately be. But yeah, I do agree that a lot of it was, you know, a bit overblown. Um and, you know, that but some you, of it wasn't as great even like back then. A, right. And you don't get like a, a lifelong uh appreciation because you're you're the first one. You know what I mean? Like we're not out here uh, praising uh, Oscar Robinson because he was so good. LeBron James is the greatest of all time. You know, it's it's just one of those things where like you could appreciate something without having it being the best of all time. Like like when you look at those lists, the top 10 3D Mario games, more often than not, Mario 64 is number one, and that's asinine. Like, what are we talking about? Like, are we? uh, Is that a is that a is that a a list in in uh, in order in terms of when they came out? Because that's the only way that Mario 64 would be number one on my list. You had to, why'd you shoot at Oscar Robinson? What did he do to you? Man, he was playing against uh, substitute <laughs> teachers and trash men. A triple double mass. You're going after people that had nothing to do with you. Um, <laughs> ain't no good. All right, man. Well, I, I, you let me guess yours. Do you want to try to take a, a stab at guessing my, my most spiciest one? I, I'll give you one clue. It's, it's a recent game. Okay. It's a recent game. It's a recent, how recent? That's all I'm going to say. Within the past, no, within man, the past you, year, I would say. Within the past year, Baldur's Gate three. Baldur's Gate three. <laughs> <laughs> Baldur's Gate three. Was it it? That's it. Ah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> this is eerie. I, I, I swear to God, no, we didn't see each other's list. No, we didn't actually. But Baldur's Gate three is. A game I don't love anymore, and um, 
Buckle up. I have I have a decent amount to say here. All right. I want to start with story. Um, much has been said about Baldur's Gate 3 storytelling. But over the course of 80 plus hours with the game, I feel like the quality of its narrative has been overblown. Um, the main story in particular felt stuck in neutral for most of the game with plot elements that I think wore out their welcome and with grander moments that lacked uh, too much, that, that, that lacked energy. Um, the whole tadpole mind flayer story arc just was not compelling to me in hindsight. It felt like it really got dragged out for far too long throughout every act of the game. And it lost a lot of its mystique too after certain revelations come about um, that also kind of fell flat to me as well. Um, speaking of falling flat, I think in hindsight, I, I feel like the, the main antagonists of the game weren't particularly captivating either. Uh, I think their motivations don't come through very well. They don't get a decent amount of screen time for most of the game. And when they do, I think some of their dialogue uh, can come off as quite obnoxious. Um, particularly Oren. Um, there's only so many times I can hear someone tell me how they want to slice and dice me up um, and eat my guts without <laughs> rolling my eyes. Um, and so I just think there was a big missed opportunity when it comes to the villains of the game. And without without having a compelling main story or a cast of villains, I think the companions really had to carry most of the narrative burden. And thankfully, a few of them are pretty memorable. But even then, I think a few characters still felt very underdeveloped and weren't as fleshed out as others. Um, I think Carlac is an example of that. Halson is an example of that. And one or two others that I just don't think have enough range compared to the Shadow Hearts of the world, where I think they definitely prioritize some characters over others. And you can kind of see that with how they're handled as the game goes yeah. on. Um I want to talk about locations. I, I also found that most of the game's locations in hindsight were really kind of bland and uncompelling. I would even go as far as to say very generic. You have your woodlands, your swamps, and your spooky towns, and your dilapidated ruins, but there was never anything that made me stop and admire my surroundings in hindsight. I felt like a lot of those um, locations were glorified aisles that I was walking down uh, to you know, basically stumble into the next quest or uh, encounter rather than really kind of taking in where I was and going, Oh my God, I think one location, like the neon moldy people, uh, in act two, like that area was kind of cool, but that was yeah, as yeah. interesting as it ever got. And I just wish there was more, um, uh, more interesting art style and environmental design for a fantasy game like this. Cause I think they've been surpassed by other games, even, Bo even, uh, even Elden ring, I think is more interesting to look at than this uh, as a fantasy game. Um, and uh, I have to say, even Baldur's Gate itself was a massive letdown, which brings me to Act 3. Um, my Arguably, my biggest problem with this game was Act 3. I think it's a mess. Uh, without getting into spoiler territory, I think it's cluttered, I think it's unpolished, and I think it's a technical mess of Pablo proportions. Um, <laughs> it's To me, it's an act where it feels like Larian's ambition got the best of them. It's like a bomb of unfinished plot threads went off, and the map ended up being littered with quest markers and new encounters packed like sardines every 10 steps you take. It's almost like they crammed three acts worth of quest into one, but uh, in the most cluttered and unapproachable way possible for my tastes. Um, 
And all while the performance nosedives into the low 20s, mind you, it, while in performance mode, uh, which brings me to technical issues, which this game has a litany of them, y'all, like frame rate issues, combat bugs, sound syncing issues, wonky dialogue, uh, camera angles, soft crashes. My save even disappeared at one point, which was Oof. really scary. Um, and so the game is is flat out not done. It's just not done. And, and I, I, I loved it at the time but i recognize that now um and you know the last thing i'll say before i close is i think the tutorials and features are pretty lacking as well um i think when you couple everything i just said with such anemic tutorials that really fail to set newcomers up for success with proper onboarding materials it can be very frustrating it can go from feeling like a great game to feeling like a research project in no time flat because you have to youtube and google everything uh to get your bearings most times not to mention having a very unhelpful map system that suffers from really strange quest marker locations sometimes that can accidentally misdirect you and like yeah. a quest log system that doesn't really help organize the bomb of quests that you're getting very well at all so i guess to, to wrap i i I won't deny that Baldur's Gate 3 has some really great things going for it. Um, it just takes more than being open-ended, pliable, and packed to the brim with content to resonate with somebody like me. So while the scope and the open-endedness and the content density is something to behold, I do believe that those strengths come at a cost of nailing the basics, the, the technical state. The main story arc, the villains, the environments and the pacing, they just don't quite carry the game as far as I was led to believe. And in hindsight, it really kind of, you know, was, was hard to ignore for me. So I had to put it on the list. Spiciest one. Yeah. I know everybody loves it. I know everyone's going to kill me, but I'm just not of that. Campaign. I mean, I love I love it. I but I I think it's it's for me. It's a game that I love it because of specific moments uh, every time it takes me to a, a moment a choice that i've made and it's changed the, the the story or a companion story or companions even their entire uh you know behavior and take and their story arcs those are the moments that i live for when i play Baldur's gate 3 but i will say i mean a lot of what you said is, is, is still true i mean you know the overall story is 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 lacking i think that oh, a lot i gotta of hear about tadpoles one more fucking time dude it was like yeah yeah and 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 then the and then when they introduced the the, the 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 bad guys, they're you know they introduce them way too late. They don't really develop as well as you'd want them to develop. You know they take so much painstaking time to really develop each of those characters if you want to do that. But there's really none of that you can do to understand the villain's point of view, other than we want to control everything. We're yeah. the bad guys. And then like you said, Orange is being the muscle the the, the mustache twirling kill murder bad guy, which is kind of like it just it's inconsistent with some of this stuff. But again. Some of those moments that I, how I dealt with Orin, how I dealt with with Gortash, how I dealt with all the the the, the elder, all all these things were really amazing moments that still resonate with me. Maybe with time, it'll be where I feel the same way with you. The, the other things, you know, compiled and, and just didn't really work out as a total uh, pro uh, product. But for right now, as I stand, I still love it very much for those moments. But I, I I can't take away anything you said. I think a lot of what you said is, is pretty right on, honestly. Yeah, so, just but yeah, a lot of things that I think the game gets praised for. 
in a way that that you know other games have done i think better in certain cases like oh you know you you can go a whole game without meeting this person i mean they they did they did that in mass effect 1 like you know i'm not i'm not poo-pooing the fact that they did it in Baldur's Gate 3 i think it's cool but i think people have think, kind of put that yeah. on a pedestal like oh well this is why the game is so open ended because and then when you criticize the game's narrative or you criticize like the character arc a lot of people's retort is going to be well maybe that's just the the result of how you played it maybe the real yeah. way that you can play it the right way to no, play it no. well uh, you know, then then at what point do we have to call the game's open endedness into question? And if there's if there's that bad of a drop off in the quality of a story arc, if I play it my way versus how you play it your way, then I don't yeah, want to run into a series yeah. of like bad end results just because I went a certain path. Like you know, I'm not trying to break the game. I'm just playing it. You know, I'm I'm literally just playing a good guy character. And I feel like yeah, I've run into a lot also- of dead ends of like, oh well, that that plot arc didn't really go anywhere. Well, that didn't amount to much though. They're already out of the picture after act two. Like, and it's like, Oh, well, okay. So I, I think some of it's a bit overblown. I really do. Yeah. And I think the people who argue against that are actually hurting the case because, you know, uh, I think a lot of characters do feel essential when you're in certain moments, but I've heard people say that Gail is essential to the story. I never met Gail. My first playthrough, not not a single interaction with Gale. And so it's like, and, and I think that works. But people who argue, well, you didn't play it right. Well, it's like, I thought the whole point was the fact that I could play it any way I wanted and right. still get the most of right. it. And I don't think that's true. I honestly, like, if you miss Lizel, which I don't know if it's possible, but if you do, like, that's a huge chunk of the of the main story in terms of the connectivity with everything else. So it's like, I don't think that that's completely true either. I think there's a facade there that we haven't quite kind of brought down completely. There are certain characters you can miss, but it's not completely, there are not all missable characters in that sense. Right. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I also I don't like, I, I don't like the newcomer excuse either. Well, maybe you're just, maybe it's because you're new to this kind of game. Look, I've been playing Western RPGs forever. You can't, you can't use that on me, you know, like when people, whenever I talk about tutorials, I've talked about it, you know, online, I I always hear people, you know, well, you know, it's because you're new and you're going to have to do more research. Like, yeah, no shit, but you could still do a better job of, of giving people the tools and, and showing people how to play the game to play effectively and not just kind of leave it up to YouTuber uh, with you know, uh, uh, ten things I wish I knew before playing Baldur's Gate three videos. Like that, I just get tired of that. I get tired of that, and what Elden Ring did too, in a way where it's like you don't need to be that. You don't need to be that way for newcomers. Like Baldur's Gate one and two did not come out two years ago. They came out a long ass time ago. There's a, a lot of time. things we got to get caught up on, fam. So let's not pretend like. Yeah. Just because you remastered it and put it out on PS4 last year that, oh, well, then now you should know how to play Baldur's Gate the right way. Like, it, it's it's a lot of excuses that go around that really irritate me about about critiquing this game. And I don't think that being a newcomer or playing the game wrong are valid excuses to give this game for some of and its I, faults. So, and to kind of the, to, to wrap my part of it up, it, it, to say and kind of join you a little bit in that people are probably going to hate me for this, but if, and, and I hate because we just did it so recently, but I think my personal top 10 list, I don't think I would have Baldur's Gate 3 as high as I have it. That So mm. I still love it, but I don't think I would have it as high as I have it if I were to do, redo that today. Yeah, my top but. 10 has actually already changed uh, pretty dramatically since uh, the game of the year recording. So it's going to be fun to revisit those uh, in a couple months. It's fluid, man. It's fluid. You need time yeah. between these games. You, know? you do, yeah. And, and, and granted, we were rushing to the finish line to, to try to get a lot of you know final thoughts in place before we got our 
game of the year stuff done. But I think, you know, when we revisit this in, in the middle of the year, I think people would be surprised where, where things might maybe shuffle around, uh, you know, in general. But um, welcome to the dark side, Pablo. You you officially said Baldur's Gate 3 is terrible and whack. Um, <laughs> well, no, no. Well, it's like, you know, that. it's like we always say, you know, it's always black and white with the Internet. You know, you can't say something is good, but flawed. <laughs> That's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You know? No nuance at all. So, you know, according to the Internet now, I'm going to be a Baldur's Gate 3 hater. Uh, but look, I think we've triggered the people enough, Pablo. I think we've done enough damage and caused enough trauma to hold them over for at least one week. So let's cut these people loose and uh, let them get on with their lives. So that is going to do it for this week's show. Uh, if you did enjoy this episode and you can forgive us for maybe not loving some of the games that you hold near and dear, uh, we would love it if you stick with us and not give up on us completely. Uh, subscribe to our future episodes if you're so inclined. Leave a review if you've been around for a while and want to show us some extra support. Uh, but until next time, thanks for checking out this week's show. Uh, Pablo, this is not your cue to say bye, everybody, bye, like you did last week. Uh, that is not okay. That's not going to be a thing like you wanted it to be. Uh, here's where the music's going to kick in. Boom, right there. And we're going to see you next week. And that's it, right? Yep. Mama! No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no mama. I'll think of something. Just bye. All right. Just bye. Make me feel good.